This is episode 123 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. Do our conceptions of happiness and the good life translate across cultures? Might what it means to be happy or what it means to live a good life be dependent on the culture we're in? Kristen Reinbach joins me today to discuss this question, among many others. Throughout the conversation, we discuss the difference between social norms of success and happiness versus our personal concepts of success and happiness. Knowing the difference between what does make you happy and what should make you happy is one of the keys to flourishing. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Kristen Reinbach is an ex-consultant and recovering creative. After a successful career in marketing and strategy consulting, she established her own consulting company, Chrysalis Consult. For her, anger is energy rings true. So in her second master's thesis, she explored the gender pay gap and its human capital implication as early as 2007. An expert in branding, marketing, and business development, Kristen's self-coaching and coaching experiences led to the creation of Chrysalis Publishing in 2012 as she felt a huge gap in quality material in German and saw the chance of digital publishing. The Club of Happy Lifepreneurs was created, today a popular platform providing hands-on and high-quality self-coaching inspirations and tools as well as a coaching zone. She has always been a bit of a trend scout and also a dedicated lifelong learner. Her own major learning projects have included her yoga journey, she's a certified vinyasa yoga teacher, learning to ski when she was over 30, and just now she's doing a Give It 100 project to learn golf. The author of two books and over 200 popular articles and newsletters, she lives with her husband Tobias in the south of Munich. She was nominated for the German Award, 25 Women Who Make the World a Better Place, in 2016. Kristen, thanks so much for joining me today, and I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. Thank you, Charlie, for having me. Um, I love to um, get the invitation. So, you know, as we were talking about the show and what we we're going to talk about, we kind of stumbled upon the cross-cultural um, differences in creativity and innovation and happiness. And, um, you know, I want to go there, but let's kind of start and introduce you to people. How did you get into this um, happy-making, creativity-making business that you're in now? <laughs> um, actually, my background is in consulting, so um, it's a people business. And um, yeah, um, at least in Europe, um, there's this concept of business people being um, quite rational in their decisions and all that. And of course, after you've been for some years in the business, uh, you get the notion that this is not the whole truth. <laughs> and so I started to get interested in that um, human part of um, marketing and of productivity, also in my own leadership role, because um, actually the own productivity um, factor you have in marketing and sales is actually human. And you can't really, you know, decide like um, you're going to be um, 10 times really creative today and, you know, just um, direct that. And um, it's a different kind of leadership, even though at that point in time, people didn't even call it that. So, um, 
Yeah, actually, it's it started there, and um, then of course, um, in a very exhausting consulting job, um, I started to search for my own ways um, to um, combine success and happiness because the external success was kind of easy to get, but it seemed to be complicated to combine it with something I really felt on the inside. Yeah, and it started with the um, typical yoga search and um, then went on um, by creating um, the Club of Happy Lifepreneurs because I felt the people... Um, really lacking the tools and um, um, really quality information. This might be a European thing. This might be a German thing um, because, of course, in the U.S., there's a whole different tradition in um, personal development. And the idea that your uh, responsibility for your own happiness is, is your own responsibility. And, yeah, and went on from there. <laughs> And, you know, that's what really stuck out to me is um, I do a lot of work consulting and coaching work across the world. And, mm -hmm. you know, from Southeast Asia to Africa to Europe to Australia, um, some in South America as well. And it didn't I, I was fascinated about the club of happy life entrepreneurs in the German context, because mm -hmm. um, the first thing that I would think about as far as German entrepreneurship goes is maybe that it doesn't focus so much on happy. It's not that Germans aren't happy people, but I, that has not been a, a forefront conversation to the degree that mm -hmm. I've noticed it in say my American counterparts. Um, it, it's, it's, I, I think um, I'm going to get into a lot of trouble on this episode, but I, but I think um, <laughs> it's, it's much like talking to people from the UK about happiness directly right? And, mm -hmm. and flourishing and thriving directly. It's, it's like you're inserting a whole conversation. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, that's not what business is about. That's not mm -hmm. what living is about. It's not about that. It's about something else. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. And so you mentioned that you noticed in the German industry that there, there was a lack of, let's say, human focus and human heart in, in the business endeavors. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about that. Um, I think um, this lack of, of, you know, human factor actually is um, still valid and might be one of the um, um, most valid roots behind all that startup hype. You know, when probably you've heard about Berlin and uh, the Generation uh, X and, and why, um, no, not, not the X ones, uh, the next ones, <laughs> uh, the current ones, um, not wanting to work in corporate, uh, corporate jobs anymore and all that. I think um, this is probably due to the fact, of course, this might be caused by bad management, uh, of course. Um, on the other hand, um, I think um, it simply says that people don't feel um, like they um, bring themselves um, to work, you know. And, um, of course, this is um, an important prerogative for being creative at work. And um, actually, people are discussing this a lot um, in Germany, like new leadership styles and um, uh, start a world this new solution which I don't think it can be because a lot of people would feel terribly lost uh, in the startup world you know with um, much less structure much less um, things that uh, you're told to do and all that um, it, it's not everyone's cup of tea actually yeah and um, at this point in time I think it might be a transformation um, also in society maybe also in Europe 
And um, on the other hand, um, I um, I listened to the interview you've had with Jonathan Fields, mm -hmm. and uh, I noticed that there um, the the path seems to have been um, from the entrepreneurial success over to the happiness and good life thing, and um, this is quite the same as it happened for me and what i noticed is actually the club of happy lifepreneurs um if you watch it on facebook is um 60 female 40 male which is actually as you would guess and um, and then the, the the male fans um actually told me they would have liked to give likes much more often but they don't do it because they don't want their colleagues to see it They don't want their colleagues to see that they're liking videos or so tell us more about that. Um, they don't want people to see that they care about happiness because, you know, um, um, in, in a cultural sense, uh, at least in Germany, it seems to be like that, that success for, um, for, um, for men is, is, a, is an ambition that is allowed in contrast to, to happiness. And on the other hand, um, for women, it is still the happiness thing that is okay um, to, to be your ambition. But then again, success, oh no, I don't know, don't know really. And then, of course, there are the individual um, definitions of success and happiness and people are really lost i think yeah it, you know not to go too heavily philosophical here but it's really fascinating because i've been tracking really the the different words we have in different languages around happiness mm -hmm. and flourishing and thriving and joy and contentment and tranquility right mm -hmm. and um happiness i think across cultures is one of those things that gets very um convoluted right because sometimes mm -hmm. people think of the affect of happiness which is the feeling the temporary feeling like when you eat chocolate or you know your favorite key lime pie or whatever your thing is you feel that euphoria you feel that affect of happiness right and mm -hmm. so that sort of there, there's this reaction against that sort of hedonistic version of happiness right mm -hmm. there's not enough talks about like this deeper level of flourishing and thriving across cultures right um, and mm -hmm. then I've noticed some um, gender asymmetries in the focus on joy in the sense that mm -hmm. um, women tend to focus much more on joy when you look at the thought and when you look at mm -hmm. the, the, the content coming out, it's much more joy focused, right? Mm -hmm. um, whereas mm -hmm. for men, it's much more success focused. And so it's just all these really interesting ways in which I think in some ways language defines how we, um, how we approach some of these concepts. Um, but then our culture, obviously, culture and language are very, very much embedded to, with each other, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are certain cultural contexts where if you're a man, like in Germany, right? If you're a man, you can't talk about, or it's uncomfortable to talk about happiness, mm -hmm. right? But you can talk about success. Absolutely. Uh, and yet, you end up in both, in all cultures, people who are culturally successful, but individually not happy. Right. And so where, what's the wedge there that we that we open this conversation and what's that look like across culture? I don't have any real answers here, just observations. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think one of the things I was interested about your work is the question that you posed. What if um, creativity was more important than well-being? What if creativity was more important than well-being? And I think we're scratching around the same thing, because a lot of times I think conversations around success go towards well-being. The better 
um, you are in physical, economic, sort of social security, mm-hmm. um, the better, the more successful you are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that sometimes doesn't ask how creative are you, um, or how you know how are you doing in that dimension. So, um, tell us a little bit more about that question and what you've what you're probing around and what you found. Um, I think that um, actually um, deriving from your idea with the um, joy um, and happiness thing, um, indeed, um, there's there's a huge um, um, side of the concept linking happiness to joy. And it might be that joy is a kind of short-term happiness. Uh, in contrast to uh, living your creativity um, is the sustainable version, much more uncomfortable and uh, not always a really good friend, you know. Um, very often someone, um, if, if you personalize it, who would say like, oh, you're naked or uh, oh, you're not perfect enough or um, I can see your flaws. And um, it's, it's not really, you know, it's not the easy thing to do. It's not um, lying in your hangmat and, and, and sipping on a cocktail and um, tipping away on your laptop and mm-hmm. all that. And creativity, um, as, as far as, 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 as my research goes, seems to make um, life much more uncomfortable um, and at the same time much more lively. Um, and there's a German um, singer and musician, Annette Humpe, who once said in an interview, um, you know, whenever people reach for drugs or um, go for adventures and, and all that, uh, what they're actually after is um, feel alive, feeling alive. And um, I think creativity actually does all that um, in a very personal way. Um, which um, is highly dependent on the person for the one person might be um, creating wire cooking for the other person might be the entrepreneurial thing. And it, it's, it's actually, it doesn't seem to matter really, um, but it, um, it has to work um, and, and work in that sense would mean like it has to feel like um, you're having a good um, um, a good um, society with your, with yourself, you know, like um, you're um, in a room with, with yourself, like being two persons and one person at the same time. And um, you, you could never feel alone in that state. Does that sound very weird? Um, it, I don't know if it sounds weird. It sounds quite resonant um, in the sense that um, here's, here's, I think the way that, that, that I'm going to riff off of that. Um, I'm going to go back to a conversation I was actually having with Fields the other day, right? Where mm-hmm. we, we don't actually talk about character as much as we used to, right? As a, as, as a Western culture, right? We don't talk mm-hmm. about character. And the reason I want to slide that in is because there's where, things we don't talk about as much like courage, right? And mm-hmm. to live a creative life requires you to have courage in a way, mm-hmm. right? The courage to be creative, because if you're not courageous, you're not going to do those uncomfortable things. You're not going to put your work out there. You're not going to yeah. face rejection. Um, you're mm-hmm. not going to say no to people when they want you to do something else. You're just, you're not going to be willing to try something that might not work. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think what's interesting is as I've, as I've surveyed the landscape and look at our, our traditional talks about creativity, we talk a lot about how to be more creative, 
but mm-hmm. less about how to be more courageous. And I think that's backwards. I think mm-hmm. if we, and I, I think you mentioned the pathway from entrepreneurship to creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of the reason that goes is because on the entrepreneurship side, you, you have to be comfortable with taking risk. Some of them mm-hmm. might be small risk, they might be big risk, but it, you know, your, your life is on the precipice of failure one way or the other, right? It could be a micro failure or a big failure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where entrepreneurs, they're either creative before, right? And didn't really acknowledge that. Or after you mm-hmm. do it for a while, you realize, wait a second, like this has been a practice in practical creativity the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see that pathway from entrepreneurship to creativity directly, or we also see the pathway from creativity to entrepreneurship, except for because of the cultural myth that counterposes business and creativity. Mm -hmm. I don't think we see as many people going from creativity to entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. as we do from entrepreneurship to creativity, because the people going from entrepreneurship to creativity don't necessarily have that blocker, that cultural blocker that you can't be creative and be a good business person at the same time. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's this duality, I think of having the courage that's going to make you uncomfortable. Um, I'm going to credit Tim Ferriss with this in his book, the four hour work week, because from my knowledge, he's the one that most did the best job of popularizing you stress, E U S T R E S S, Mm -hmm. which is positive stress versus distress. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about it is the body responds the same way to both. Like mm-hmm, when, okay. when you're going through really um, creative periods or entrepreneurial success periods, your body is triggered in the same way as if you were going through distress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people, the reason I'm bringing that up, a lot of people will start to feel those feelings that go with distress, that they understand mm-hmm. go with distress and think something's wrong. Mm. That's the body telling you something's wrong. This is uncomfortable. Um, you're um, whether you want to go the security route and physical security route, like mm-hmm. you're you're about to get in trouble and harm, or whether you're going to go mm-hmm. the social security route, you're about to be ostracized, right? The body throws throws out these these <laughs> that, that tell you to stop doing that, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Except for to live a really full life, you have mm-hmm. to lean into that distress, that you stress. You have to lean into that and feel those feelings. And I think that's where people get stuck. Absolutely true. Yeah. And I think we, we um, um, don't really learn um, to recognize these feelings um, for what they are. Um, because feeling uncomfortable um, and not knowing what kind of um, different feelings this can contain um, will easily um, lead to the assumption, oh, I'm afraid something must be wrong. Actually, when I wrote my first book, in, in the beginning, I um, actually always felt like I'm doing something really forbidden, you know, like um, as if I'm about to commit a crime or something, really like um, um, maybe you, you might have heard of um, Franz Kafka, mm-hmm. an old um, European writer, um, and there's even um, a word saying, this is Kafka-esque, you know, having a fear that is not even real and it's just you know some 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 thought some some weird concept in your mind and you, you kind of you know you feel like you're threatened and there's nothing yeah <laughs> and um yeah and i think this is probably about this whole build up about creativity being dangerous which 
probably is cultural in a way um, and might be quite similar in the States. You know, I think in the States, for example, um, creativity seems to be okay as long as you earn money with it and the best would be a lot of money. <laughs> and um, in Europe, um, there it would be okay to be creative and not earn a lot of money with it. And, but you would have to be kind of, you know, famous or intellectual or um, something like that would be kind of different positive sanctioning happening. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's true. We, I, I know about our culture. We're, we're schizophrenic in the way in that we believe multiple things at once, right? And so mm-hmm. we really espouse creativity and being creative and coming up with new solutions and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. But keep your day job, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's like, okay, if you're on the side, right? But mm-hmm. like when people start think about it as an actual career, that's when all the mm-hmm. flags come up. Like, are you serious? Like, don't go, for instance, um, I was talking to someone about college. It's like, don't get a humanities degree. What are you going to mm-hmm. do with it? Like all this liberal art stuff, what are you going to do with that? You've got to make money. And so it's like, it's, it's noble to have it. But again, it's not your day job, right? Um, you got to go do something practical, right? Something that will earn money. And what we're finding more and more, especially in the new economy as it develops, is actually the practical ways of going and finding a job are um, for mm. a lot of people unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of people, they are actually causing them to be unhealthy, right? Mm-hmm. In a lot of different ways. Um, they're, they're breaking down social, social structures and things like that. And so it turns out going and doing the practical thing actually can harm you more than living a full and rich creative life. Um, and which, you know, it's really interesting, which is why we creative people pack up, right? Because um, we have a broader culture telling you like, no, don't do that. What are you, are you serious? You're going to go off and do this writing thing? Like, you're going to go off and be a painter. You're going to go off and be, I mean, programming is different because we were, we have this fascination with web apps and technology right now. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're going to go be a programmer. That's super cool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though it's just a manifestation of creativity in another way. So I think that's, um, I, I think that's where we in the States get stuck, right? Is because on the one hand, the, the schizophrenia of it is we really value creativity. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we discourage people from living creative lives. Um, and um, whereas I, maybe, in, maybe in Europe or in Germany, it's you can live a creative life and it's okay if you don't make any money. But in that sort of like the poor artist pathway can be you or you can be the, the intellectual, right? And be out there doing your thing. That's okay. That's laudable. Whereas in the States, not so much, right? <laughs> uh, not so much that that's a laudable pathway. Um, yeah, and I think actually um, 80 to 90% of our reality would probably um, also fit the um, pattern you just described. You know, it's like, um, of course, uh, maybe in university you could have that little flirt with um, creativity, but you would never marry her, yeah. <laughs> you know, in that way. Um and I think this, yeah, this might be pragmatic, but on the other hand, I think, um, actually, I, I think that it um, robs people of their energy. And um, th- this might not be that tragic for some years. Um, but then over time, um, things start to happen. And, and I, I think this, this also is connected um, with the sense of not knowing anymore who you are and all that. 
um, especially for men, probably actually, because they're, you know, just like, um, I just had a chat with a girlfriend last week and she was saying like, um, I so very often I, I meet guys and they're just like robots. They're functioning, functioning, functioning. And once you, you are asking like, yeah, but what do you really want? And you know, this is kind of easy sounding question, but it's actually the worst question you can ask people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and even here's what I've noticed, right. Um, and, and this is my, I don't know, I plug, I plug this book, I don't know, so many times on the podcast, but the, um, nonviolent communication, right. Mm -hmm. um, it's got page, I think it's 94, 95, right. Um, where it's got three or four pages of, of feeling words of emotion words. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really powerful for me as a man, because I'd never really caught like, I thought about a lot of a lot of language, a lot of words, but I really started thinking about like, oh, there's a difference between annoyance and frustration. Like that feels mm -hmm. differently, and there are different words. Like to be vexed is different than to be just be frustrated. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Um, but a question that really starts to change people's landscape is not what do you want, but how do you want to feel, mm -hmm. especially if you block chunky words like happiness like again happiness is a, is, a, is a word that has a lot wrapped into it right right mm -hmm. but if you say okay like you can't use it you can't feel happy right mm -hmm. um just happy simple or you don't want you can't say i want to feel successful mm -hmm. what are those words do you want to feel inspired do you want to feel joyful do you want to feel content do you want to feel tranquil serene you can go through a lot of different things and mm -hmm. um learning to express that emotional vocabulary is a pathway to creativity, but I also mm -hmm. think it's the pathway to flourishing and happiness because you're mm -hmm. able to say, oh, I'm not just this robot, right? Um, yeah. And, I, and I, I think um, science is showing this more and more. Like when you live this unemotional robotic life for 30, 40 years, it starts to show up in physical and mental health problems. Mm. It starts to show up in social health problems in the sense of your networks are not as strong and um, resilient as they might be because you can't emotionally share and bond with people. And mm. so it catches up with you. And I think, you know, I was reading a book. Oh, what was the name of the book? It's on the Kindle. So I never see the title, which is a problem with it. It's about stoicism. Um, but he was commenting that, um, you know, we, we I'm going to paraphrase here. We, we, do all the steps. We do all the things that are supposed to make us successful and happy, right? That our mm -hmm. culture tells us will make us successful and happy. Mm -hmm. And when you're in your twenties, like you're just starting to accrue all those little success buttons, right? Those little, you're, you're just starting to check yeah. off, right? Yeah. In your thirties, you've checked off more, but you get to your forties and you're like, I've done all of that. Mm. And I'm still not fulfilled. I'm mm -hmm. still not happy. And at least a sort of the midlife crisis, right? Where you're like, screw it, this long-term, um, you know, put off happiness now for happiness later thing is not working. So I'm going to go buy a red BMW and make a lot of terrible decisions right now mm -hmm. in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Because we haven't learned for the last few decades how to tap into our own happiness, how to tap into our own creativity, how to tap into our own, our own inspiration and feelings and so on and so forth, right? Um, mm -hmm. I was going somewhere with that. I completely forgot where. <laughs> um, I might, I might build on that and, sure. and, yeah. and, and, um, build a hypothesis on that. Um, 
actually, um, Viktor Frankl had that um, thing with the stimulus response space thing, mm -hmm. which I love, um, which is actually saying, um, actually, we are conditioned by society um, with which, with certain um, stimulus and responses, and you're like pushing buttons, and, and actually, it's not um, that different from educating a dog. Mm -hmm. And this is quite depressing on the one hand, but then um, there's this um, space in between. And I think it might be about um, um, getting back to that space, recognizing it's there, and um, yeah, and pushing it, you know, um, the space, uh, so, so it gets bigger with time, you know, and, and um, it might be... Um, the, the happiness of the 20s or 30s or early 30s might be the conditioned happiness, you know, the outward happiness, this, this, um, I should feel happy with that thing, mm -hmm. uh, in contrast to, um, finding the, the, the fulfillment feeling from the inside, uh, which of course could never, um, be told by society or anyone else, because how could they know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How could you know? And, um, you know, most, most of the psychologists or most of the work I've read in psychology, um, have, has put, um, character development, like, well, they, they put that 28 is when most people have a fully formed identity now, mm -hmm. right? 28. Um, and it's shifted as, as we've shifted life perspective, as, as we, um, have done different things of, um, you know, throughout the, throughout the millennia, it's shifted from 14 to 15 to 18 to 21. Now it's 28. Mm. So that means for the first 28 years of your life, you probably do not have a very good compass to guide yourself on what makes you, you right. Mm -hmm. For most people, because we don't teach six year olds how to have their own sort of life compass. Mm. I don't know what, that we could. I, I don't have six-year-olds around to, to do this with, right? But I think mm. there's this emotional and social development that has to happen before that can happen. And I, uh, you know, what, I think what happens in the States, at least, is that you, know, you go to high school and you're starting to figure things out. And then you go to college, which um, university is still about personal exploration, but it's done in the context of academic and professional preparation. So it's mm -hmm. still really about what you're going to, how you're going to make money in the world. Mm, mm, mm. Right. Um, and then you get out and then you start having relationships because you've done all that stuff. And then again, you're still like, okay, I set this plan for myself. This is what it means to be successful. I'm like paying for a apartment or house is expensive. Oh, wait a second. I've got a partner. Maybe we're starting to think about having kids. And so there are all these sort mm -hmm. of um, external demand driven things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um and then actually their lives are so cramped with things, you know, like with houses um, to pay off and kids and, and dogs and all that. So, um, of course, you would never um, uh, get the chance to listen to your own voice or she would have to shout to you, you know, <laughs> she would be like, hello, uh, which actually is happening um, quite often. You know, because um, then people are getting um, ill or, um, yeah, um, having a burnout. I I'm not quite sure about that burnout thing, actually. Um, um, and and all, also that midlife crisis thing, they, they might actually um, 
simply be the, the symptoms um, of, of these causes we're discussing now. And it might be interesting to have the experiment, what would happen um, if people could live their creative and talented selves um, um, also after their teenage years. Yeah, what, what would happen if we um, rather, and again, this, this may be the American context, rather than taking teenagers and cramming them full of extracurricular activities and sports mm-hmm. and chess club and drama and all these different types of things, what if we split their days in half and said, you know what, half the day you're going to do learning and then the other mm-hmm. half a day you're going to do creative exploration stuff, like just really mm-hmm. whatever inspires you. Or maybe, I mean, I would throw athletics in there because... Um, I'm, I'm a neoclassicist in that way. Right. But it's like, mm-hmm. half, you're going to spend a 30 year day, just learning educational academic stuff. You're going to spend a, basically a 30 year day actively involved in your community and as an athlete. And then the other third is you're just going to explore, um, the, your creativity, right. And what that means. And so that could be music, that could be dance, that could be what, however that shows up programming, mm-hmm. right. There are all sorts mm-hmm. of ways to be practically creative every day. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm but we're going to start developing that courage earlier on. And what's funny, you know, I was thinking about this earlier that I think this is where I was going. When we talk about midlife crises, now, crises now, we have to remember that in the context of mm-hmm. our species, like those midlife crises are happening 15 years after most people died 400, 500 years ago. Right. Yes, um, yeah. mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. people didn't live as long to have to figure these types of things mm-hmm. out. You, know, you had kids when mm-hmm. shortly after puberty, like you, your lifespan was around 35. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And there just wasn't a lot of time for you to like have to figure your stuff out because it was fighting starvation and disease mm-hmm. and, and the elements and keeping your kids and family mm-hmm. alive. That was it. Um, yeah. But here we are yeah. living 85, 90, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, I think in a very real way in the last 100, maybe 150 years, we're finally starting to ask the questions like, what does a good life look like after your kids are grown up? That was not really a question yes. that, was, that, that we had mm-hmm. to grapple with three or 400 years ago um, because your kids would bury you when they were, were younger, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but what do you do when you have that thing going on? And as a society, obviously there are people who live longer across all cultures. Right. Um, but um, so we're at the point now to where on the one hand we live longer. On the other hand, the cost of living is incredibly high, which means economic demands and making it, you know, buying stuff basically takes more mm-hmm. and more of our time. You have kids, mm-hmm. it gets even worse. Um, so you live longer and be, and in some ways are unfulfilled longer than we've ever been, right? mm-hmm. which is, I think, where some of the stuff is coming up, right? Um, interesting, I, get, I think, when you put it in a sort of evolutionary context. And it might be um, a special challenge. Uh, we're just living up to just now because uh, the combination of living longer. Um, also in, in Germany, for example, people... Um, um, are retiring in their 60s. I mean, they are actually living for 20, 30 years more. And creativity is such a great tool. Um, so you never get bored, you know, because you always have your own adventures going on in your mind uh, or on, on your laptop when you're writing books. Um, um, and it's, it's actually a great time for learning. Uh, who knows what what could happen if all these people would spend their 
time in a in a creative way productively and um I think also um, the challenge coming up with that, you know, if you think about Mozart, Mozart um, was actually only 33 when he died um, or something like that. Of course, he would never get into the trouble of, you know, having spent too much time with the wrong people, bad experiences and everything like that. Maybe it was already enough with 33. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and what, what I stumbled upon uh, when I um, tried to find out more about creativity and how to bear creativity was um, the concept of getting rid um, of old beliefs from time to time and to test them and to throw them out um, you, and, you know, to create a kind of spam filter. And um, actually, one of the co-authors of the Club of Happy Lifepreneurs is um, Morty Lefko, which we translated. Um, he's a quite interesting source. Actually, he died in the meanwhile. And he's a, he's a former Wall Street broker, a current psychologist, and he has a very hands-on approach on that, um, which I loved because I'm always looking for hands-on and practical. And um, on the other hand, um, I might send you um, the link afterwards. There's um, um, a guy from Switzerland. Um, he's, um, it's called uh, Wiping the Slate um, Clean. It's, it's available on Amazon also. And um, it's only a few euros. And um, he's actually uh, um, explaining very hands-on manner how to detect and, and, and let go of your old belief systems. And I'm not that consequent uh, as I should be, um, but I feel that this is a quite powerful technique, actually. Yeah, so let's let's bring it home in some ways, because we've talked at a very high level, you know, cross-cultural <laughs> differences in happiness and creative and innovation. I mean, we go there sometimes, right? Um, but I, I think part of the root here is um, understanding your own natural creativity and separating... Mm -hmm. Um, your version of happiness from your society's versions of happiness, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there's that gulf in between the two. Mm -hmm. uh, so you've mentioned two great resources there. If you could, just give us a few um, tips or strategies or ways to really um, be clear about that difference between your individual happiness and versus the cultural, um, the cultural thing that, that may not be taking you where you want to go. Okay. Um, I think a very simple one is um, always when you think something that sounds like I should feel happy now. Uh, this should this should be great now. Oh, I guess this is great. <laughs> and something is wrong. Then it's probably not your uh, it's not happiness on your terms. Then you should have a closer look. And I think it will be an interesting look. Um, a great um, source of inspiration for what you really want and where, where your creativity wants to go with you, I think, is envy. Um, I noticed this for myself um, where I was in the nightclub in, in Frankfurt. Um, the, the brother of an acquaintance of mine um, um, was standing there at the DJ pult uh, in his own club with great design and everything, and it was his own little world. He created that, and you can feel his pride, you know. And uh, I was so envious. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, I want that too. <laughs> and it was uh, it was very um, 
interesting evidence of what I really want. Um, so I'm always saying like, uh, when you get envious, um, this is a very helpful sign actually. And um, I think what you already mentioned, um, paying more attention to the actual feeling in a situation um, can offer you a lot uh, of um, data inside into yourself. And um, actually, when I spoke with livepreneurs um, during the summer, what they are all telling me that one of their most powerful tools is actually reflecting in written form in their diaries. And then, you know, when you um, have a moment in November when you really feel depressed and everything, you get these books out and read it to yourself and uh, you will probably be astonished what it's telling you. Uh, and the last one um, is the so-called uh, 101 wishes list. I think this is actually from the Chicken Soup um, series. And um, I did that um, 10 years ago. And it's very revealing, actually, because the um, first 20, 25 um, wishes are actually the society wishes. The, the house, the car, um, all that. And then... Of course, you get into the phase where you're like, what else? <laughs> and um, after that, it gets interesting because if you're writing down that you would really want to have lunch with David Bowie, then it, of course, this probably won't happen, not anymore. Um, but um, it's, it's telling you something about the kind of people you want to hang out with, um, the kind of work you want to do, the kind of contribution you, you want to um, add to the world. So to recount those four ways, right? So one was be very conscious when you're telling yourself you should feel or should be happy in a certain mm -hmm. way. Two, pay attention to when you're envious, you're envious because that's a sign that that's something that you want. Mm -hmm. be in touch with your feelings and ask more questions about how you feel than what you're thinking. And then four, the 101 wishes list from um, the um, chicken soup from creative soul series. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, four powerful ways I would start. I, I love, by the way, the, um, I love number two, paying attention to envy. Mm -hmm. um, because in my experience, you can't hide from envy. Like when you feel it, you feel it, right? Um, and you feel it pretty intensely. At least maybe that's just my envy, right? That comes up. It's not like... It's I'm, honest. It's not the should be feeling. It's yeah. the, oh, I don't want that to be there. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that to be there. I don't like that about myself. But that's mm -hmm. also a really good sign, right? That there's something mm -hmm. important there because um, we're not envious of people who are doing things we don't want to do or have they don't have the things that we want. We're only envious right? Because we're lacking something that we think somebody else has mm -hmm. um, um, or that we want to be clear that we want mm -hmm. what they have and we don't have it. And that makes us upset. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so it's a very good sign in that way. Um, love, love, love that. Um, because I think so many um, creative people and entrepreneurs, but really creative people um, when they, get triggered by someone else's success, mm -hmm. they run away from that rather mm -hmm. than leaning into it, right? Mm -hmm. um, for instance, I know a sign for me, there, there are occasionally books that come out that when I see the title and I read the blurb and I see what it's about, I'm like, oh, I should have written that book. <laughs> I wish I would have written that book. 
or that book's going to be amazing. And then it's going <laughs> to shut down my own writing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that those are the books right now that unless I'm in the middle of writing a book proposal, um, that, that I should definitely read because every time, historically, every time I've had that feeling and read the book, I realized that, wait a second, it was a great idea, but there are other things that I think about that. So it's actually illuminated other things, right? But I mm-hmm. just know that sign is like, oh, that means that I need to get my butt on writing a book or I need to get my book on, on doing my own deep work um, because it matters to me, right? Um, mm-hmm. When people have, when people buy a new car, I don't care, right? When people buy, you know, a new house, I don't care, right? I don't care about a lot of things, but certain things matter to me. And I've learned to lean into that. Um, yeah, and, and it might be interesting. Um, um, I once thought about um, that in English, the, the word disturbing, something is disturbing you, you know, it, it means that it's moving you. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's getting um, something out of you. It's, it's, it's like, ooh, this is uncomfortable. I don't want that. And, and this is also very honest. Yeah, it's honest. It's honest, it's powerful, and it's a part of yourself that wants to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that I, I think paying attention to that and exploring and leaning into that. Also on the journaling thing, I'm just going to throw this out. One of my favorite programs for this is 750words.com. Um, mm-hmm. It's like morning pages, except for you, you have a, um, a white screen that you type it and it gamifies it. So when you hit 750 words... Um, It tells you that you're done and you just sit down and write and it stores it all and you don't have to worry about scores and scores of notebooks. Um, I use it and it was really striking, Kristen, because I went back and I was reading something that I wrote about in 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I noticed a few things. This is an aside. I noticed that I started doing a lot of writing in October and November every year. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. when I had the most posts. I'm like, what is it about October and November? But then I started reading what was going on in October, November. I was like, ah, that's what's going on, right? Because it's a tension point um, Uh in -hmm. the year. And it's when I know that I have to change habits. Um, And so Mm -hmm. that's one of them. So anyways, very good tool for that. If you don't want to have notebooks, but still want to do the morning pages or journaling, very, very good tool. So I just want to mm-hmm. say that out there. So Kristen, when we're, when we're on jams like this, the guest always gets to leave our audience with a challenge or an invitation, right? So mm-hmm. um, as we wrap up, um, what invitation or challenge would you like our listeners um, to do? Um, I'd like you to challenge to do something um, during the next week that feels really pointless, absolutely senseless, to no whale, no purpose. Um, the best would be totally weird. <laughs> uh, whatever you can do um, on that dimension. And it's, it's absolutely important that, it's, um, that there's a label on it, time waster. <laughs> and yeah, um, just give that two hours um, over the week and see what it, what's, what's happening. That would be the challenge. And the invitation would be um, to, I think we could um, do a lot of good, you know, being good human beings, contributing um, a lot, not only um, by donorships and stuff, but really just by um, 
supporting, motivating other people that don't dare to live their creativity, that whenever you see something arise there, like um, some petite idea, and just cheering them up and saying, yeah, go for it, go for it, go for it. And to do that, just, you know, probably during um, the Christmas Eve or something, um, occasions will arrive, uh, arise, and then I think it's great um, to cheer on other people to find the courage to do it. That's fantastic. I was a cheerleader in high school, so I always love um, encouraging other people to cheerleading or to cheerlead. So, Kristen, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a fascinating conversation, and I look forward to um, what emerges um, in the future. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It was great fun. <laughs> Okay, Creator Giants, so you heard it from Kristen. You have an invitation to cheerlead someone's, um, someone else, whether they have an idea, whether they're just getting started. Rather than being a naysayer, be a yaysayer. And the challenge was within the next week to do something that seems pointless. Do something where you're not trying to be productive and see what happens. Until next time, stand tall. If you're digging the Creative Giant Show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating or review on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.